just uh, a few announcements uh, from my end. Uh, our uh, Tuesday night Bible study will not resume this week, but the following. I have to take a, a quick trip to Michigan on Tuesday. Uh, got a, um, it's a, it's a, not a long story, but um, Josh got offered a, a soccer scholarship and he has to be there to receive it. Uh, I don't know why the rules are like that, but he got offered a soccer scholarship to a university there. So when we get there, he can see it, and I can see it, and find out how much money's left over uh, to pay. You, yeah, it costs eighty thousand a year to go to school in the U.S., but we will cover half of that, <laughs> and then you slit your throat and go home. Um, so that's uh, that will be the following week. We will start back up our Bible study. For those of you who have never been before and you're doing nothing at home on a Tuesday night, watching Oprah or whatever else it may be, we, we study the Bible uh, here at uh, 7 o'clock. And then for the sermon series, I'm uh, contemplating very seriously going through the book of Daniel. Uh, I was going to do Judges, but so many of our Bible studies in Surrey are, are doing Judges, so uh, we're going to go maybe through Daniel fairly quickly, or some lessons from Daniel. haven't quite figured it all out, so that's sort of something to prepare if you want this week, to read the book of Daniel, just to get fresh, um, and what it's like to live in a, a pagan kingdom as a faithful Christian is the basic idea. So those are those are two announcements. Today we have uh, my obligatory New Year's uh, sermon and uh, a little bit different this year, so uh, if you wish, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, because we're going to be looking in part at verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 5, we've read the context earlier, verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that what we have before us are words that will uh, help us to not only walk in love, but to know that we are loved as we walk in love. And so we praise you for that and ask that you will guide our hearts and minds now as we worship you. Amen. Well, it's, it's certainly taken me long enough now to figure out theologically there is no secret to the Christian life. So I want to uh, begin by saying that if you... Uh, do hear teaching where it says this is the secret to the Christian life, you probably are, are going to hear a bunch of nonsense. And the reason I say that is uh, because we do try from time to time to have secrets to the Christian life, even in our New Year's resolutions, which can be quite indulgent at times in a, in a way that you'd be surprised by. Uh, they can also be legalistic. And uh, if you really want to get scared by some bedtime reading, you could read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, and those are resolutions. The, the resolutions you guys come up with are, are, are not even worth discussing when you read Jonathan Edwards. They would terrify you if you read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. And what's terrifying about his resolutions is I think he meant it. Um, 
and they're, they're quite scary. If you were to also have Bo- Fox's Book of Martyrs beside your bed and maybe J.C. Ryle's chapter in Holiness, Remember Lot's Wife, there's three books that I would say don't read before you go to bed. Um, but resolutions, do they really work? I mean, I've been here now for many years and you all look the same year after year. You promise to make great changes in your life, but you're just getting older. You just look the same. There's no real great outward progress amongst most of us, is there? Uh, So I think we should put an end to these nonsensical New Year's resolutions. I'm going to be fitter this year. Well, so what? You're still going to die. (laughs) I'm going to eat healthier this year. I'm going to do this. I want to do a New Year's sermon uh, today that uh, talks about just ordinary day-to-day Christian living. What does that look like and how can you actually look forward to this year, not having to worry too much about whether your resolutions were performed to the degree that you had hoped. Now, we do in some Christian circles run into what Uh, can be a crisis of assurance, and the crisis of assurance is overcome by uh, what are meant to be extraordinary spiritual experiences. And so people look for this higher spiritual experience, and if they can attain this spiritual experience, it will help them to then know that they are a Christian and that God really loves them. And this has had disastrous consequences through the course of church history, by the way. Even in the time of the so-called Second Great Awakening with Charles Finney, uh, he was promising this sort of type of spiritual experience for people who uh, were then assured that they really were Christians. And Charles Finney, it's called Finneyism, uh, and the sort of well before the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel was a sort of easy believism that has led to places that we now call burnt-out districts and areas in the northeast part of the United States. There's just no spirituality there. And historians have tied this back to Phineism and what happened where these people thought they were having spiritual experiences, but it really wasn't lasting, true, mature Christian living. Now, what is the point of what I'm saying? I'm saying that what we do struggle with and why people sometimes go searching for these spiritual experiences is because everydayness, everyday Christian living is not easy. It can actually be quite difficult. It's easy to think about what you would do if there was a war that was about to happen or a hurricane was coming or if you were going on a school trip to Paris or you had won a trip to Mexico. It's easy to think about how to navigate those experiences in life. But truth be told, we can't live that way every day. And so we have to confront the problem of what is it like to wake up And go about your day every day, day after day, day after day. Maybe you wake up, you have a cup of coffee, you try to get the kids out of the house before 8.07 or 8.08 because after that the traffic by painful experience seems to double every minute after 8.08 and you drop them off and you come home and your wife is waiting at the door and says, Mark, you've been gone far too long and welcomes me back into the house and 
you sit down at your desk and you start to prepare a sermon or you uh, go off to your office at work and all of this and you just go, how am I going to get through another day? And that's a real question many Christians face. And one of the great things about the Reformation, especially with Luther, was that uh, in the medieval church there were what we call hermits. And hermits would go off and live their own secluded lifestyle as a sort of higher spiritual experience. And the monks and nuns also started to do that in the time just before the Reformation where they would go off and they would have the higher spiritual experience. And Luther said, actually... You can have a faithful Christian experience by being a tinker or a cobbler or, or whatever it is in your day-to-day Christian living. You don't need to be a monk. You don't need to be a hermit. You don't need to go off to Uganda. You can go to Uganda, but you don't need to go to Uganda and help build a well in order to say, well, now I'm a Christian. You can wake up every morning and you can glorify God in your day-to-day Christian living. You can glorify God by doing things that are ordinary. And ordinary Christian living in terms of our maturity is actually a very slow, almost imperceptible progression. That is to say, there are no shortcuts. If you were to think of a child being conceived, you don't see that a conception takes place and then three weeks later there's a big baby in uh, the belly and you're like, wow, look what God put there. When I was a kid, I used to just think, you know, God made babies and He just puts it in the belly and it's just ready to go. You're like, who makes babies? Definitely not mom and dad. It's God puts the baby there and the baby comes out. But when you start to learn how babies are made and how they progress and how they develop, you realize that Every single hour is necessary to their survival. Every single day, and yet it's imperceptible. Each day, day after day after day after day. And Christian living is like the growth of a child in the womb. Every day, if you were to go and take a, a, a picture of what's happening, you wouldn't be able to tell from one day to the other what great changes have taken place. And yet, from the very beginning of conception, from the very beginning of the new birth, to the time in which God takes us, you would see something marvelous. And yet, day by day, it's imperceptible. Well, that's really our New Year's sermon this year. Is what is the key to Christian living? And it's found in a book like Ephesians. If I may just put in a suggestion for what you might want to try this year, is why not try to master a book of the Bible? Why not try to, instead of reading the whole Bible, though you can do that, of course, why not try to read Ephesians 20, 30, 40 times and master its contents? I do these podcasts sometimes and they say, how did you learn theology? What's the key to being a theologian? And I says, you know, instead of reading a hundred books, you can read two or three books really well. Instead of reading the whole Bible this year, read Ephesians really, really well. Because what you find when you read Ephesians and you master Ephesians is you have really all that you need to live a faithful Christian life day in and day out. I mean, it opens up in a marvelous way, as we know, and you read some of the realities of what is written there in chapter 1, and it is something that could keep us and will keep us busy for all eternity that we are chosen in Christ, that 
we are predestined in love and that it was through His blood that we have come to share in this wonderful salvation and it's been sealed to us by the promised Holy Spirit. And then the outworkings of how this takes place in time in chapter 2 where we were by nature objects of wrath. We were children of the devil and yet God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ and He has given us good works to do in advance so that the good works we do are good works that God has given to us. And then you get to chapter 3 and you have Paul's great prayer of God's love and how high and deep and wide His love is, but also that His love is not just for Jews but for Gentiles. You have all of these things that God has done and it sets that framework for true Christian living. And then you get to the application chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so in chapter 5, for example, I thought it would be good to just look at especially those words in verse 2. We're told to be imitators of God as beloved children. So notice that even though chapters 4, it begins with an imperative, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's chapter 4, verse 1. You get to chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, therefore, be imitators of God. Another command, an imperative. But then he reminds you, you are to carry this out. Why? Because you are children of God. Don't do this to become children of God. Do this because you are children of God. Why do you imitate God? Because you're His child. And children naturally do imitate their parents. And then he says, walk in love. And we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to walk in love? Because if you were to say walk in love to the world, and you abstract that phrase and go to South America, go to Australia, go to Africa, go to the United States and say we should walk in love, who would disagree with that? But what does it mean to walk in love? And that's what the book of Ephesians teaches us. What does it mean to walk in love? Well, if you go back to the beginning then of chapter 4, you will see that we are in verse 2 to walk in all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. What are you to do today? What are you to do tomorrow? Does this command change? No. Every day you're to live with one another in humility and gentleness with patience. If you go down a couple of verses and get to perhaps verses 13 to 15, you find that you're to reject false doctrine and grow into maturity. What are you to do this year? You're to embrace what is true and reject what is false. In verse 15, you're to speak the truth in love. What does it mean to walk in love? It means to speak the truth in love. What are you to do in verse 22? You're to put off the old man. In verse 24, put on the new man. What are you to do this year? Be gentle. Be humble. Walk in love. Speak the truth. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Don't lie. Verse 25. Verse 26 and 27, what should you do? You should get rid of sinful anger. In verse 28, we're to stop stealing and work hard. Why? So that we can give to those who have need. That's an implicit command, is it not? Or maybe even explicit command to hospitality. 
Some want to join a church and they say, what can I do here at the church? And that's a good question. And maybe you want to be a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you want to be a sound person. Maybe you want to be an elder or a deacon. Maybe you want to take my job and be the pastor. I don't know. But maybe you just need to have people over. Maybe you just need to eat food with people and be a good brother or sister in the Lord. Get rid of sinful anger. Work hard so that you can share with those who actually have a need. And watch your speech. Verse 29 of chapter 4, verse 31, and also in verse 4 of chapter 5. You should be kind to one another in verse 28 of chapter 4. What are you to do this year? Be kind to one another. Don't be sexually immoral in chapter 5, verses 3 to 7. Or avoid fellowship with darkness. Avoid this year spending too much time. I'm not saying time, but too much time with those who live in darkness. Speak to one another in verse 19 of chapter 5 in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Give thanks in verse 20. Wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 22 and 24. Husbands, love your wives. This is not something that changes. These are commands that are placed upon us day after day after day. Children, in chapter 6, it begins with another imperative, but then tells us why should children obey their parents? Because they are in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Don't just obey your parents, but obey them out of the realities of everything that has also been said in Ephesians. You don't just say, you should obey me because I'm your parent. No, obey me because we are in the Lord in the context of the covenantal community, obey your parents, for this is right. Fathers, raise godly children. In verse 4. Work hard for those who are over you. In verses 5-9. to Fight the devil and his minions and put on the whole armor of God. Everyone sitting here is to put on the whole armor of God. In chapter 6, verses 10-20. to And pray at all times in the Spirit. What is it to walk in love? You are not left to guess what that looks like. Paul has told you from the beginning of chapter 4 to the end of chapter 6, this is what it is to walk in love. As imitators of God, as children of God, walk in love. George Eliot in Middlemarch said the following, he said, For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. The good of the world is partly dependent upon unhistoric, that is, unknown acts and things that are not so bad with you and me. So the reason life is actually pretty good is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life. And they rest in unvisited tombs. The vast majority of the world are not accomplishing great historic acts. But when God's people are doing the very things that Paul has commanded here, simply by speaking the truth, simply by praying for one another, simply by showing hospitality, simply by being gentle and kind, those are the reasons why our lives are as good as they are. 
Now, it needs to be said how important the ordering of Ephesians is. Because if you were to take chapters 4, 5, and 6 and put them at the beginning of Ephesians and take chapters 1, 2, and 3 and put them at the end, it would not be the inspired Word of God. Because it's not just the words of God that are inspired, but it's the ordering of the words of God that are inspired. That is to say, when you look at Ephesians chapter 5, something interesting happens. And it, I pointed this out in chapter 4. But when you look at Ephesians chapter 5, you'll notice that Paul says something. Walk in love. That's a command. But what does he do immediately after issuing this command to you? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in the midst of a command, there is a reminder of what God has done for you. Go to verse 1. Be an imitator of God. A reminder, who are you? So you not only have the reminders of chapters 1, 2, and 3, but even as Paul goes on with these commands, he's saying, remember who you are. Remember what God has done. Remember what Christ has done. Now, what's the best thing then that you can do this year? The best thing that you can do this year is to just plod along. Make corporate worship central and build out of that. People talk about, what's your goals for the church? What do you want to see? May I start off with a modest goal for you this year? that if the Lord does not return, I want to see every one of you sitting here who belong to this church in those seats a year from now. That's not just, I would say, a modest goal, but that is the right goal. Is that you would just simply be faithfully serving God for another year. That you would be sitting here. And that we would be joined by others who are not yet sitting in these empty seats. Who are also plodding along day after day. What is it that you need? To love one another. To walk in love. And to see what that looks like in the context of the church that Paul lays out for us so clearly. You don't need to go to Uganda. You can go. And you can do those things, but you don't need to. You don't need to do something that's going to put you on the front page of the newspaper. You need to wake up and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm just going to walk in love. And all that that will mean based upon the specific circumstance I find myself in. And you're going to need to pray. Because as ordinary as the Christian life can be, that is where God does His extraordinary works i get mad at myself for a few things one thing i get most mad about is when god answers my prayers in such remarkable ways and i don't pray more because obviously god loves me and answers my prayers so why don't i pray more and then i get mad at myself this week actually was an interesting one and it, it i'm not sure everyone was totally happy with this illustration in the last service but i'm going to try it again some were horrified but um, Matthew went away uh, with Langley Christian School on Friday to Victoria for a basketball tournament. And uh, the coach, his son is on the team. And when the coach has a son on the team, let me just tell you, 
It's, it's always biased. I know that because I'm biased towards my kids. But when Thomas played junior soccer this year, I didn't make him a starter. I'm like, obviously, I can't do that. He had to earn his spot. And when he finally earned a spot starting later in the year, I said, Thomas, you earned it. I didn't just give it to you. And it made him feel better about himself. Well, this coach hasn't quite got to that type of enlightenment yet. (laughs) And his son starts every game. And he's in the same position as my son, Matthew. And so Barb texts me, his son is starting again. I'm like, okay. And he's not an all-star, this guy. Let me tell you, this son. He's fine, but he's not an all-star. But he starts and he plays a lot. So Matthew's had his minutes cut considerably, which is he's not used to, which has been good for him. But this time going away to Victoria, I actually did pray. I was like, oh Lord, I, I pray he gets more minutes. He's going away. I mean, that's, is that a reasonable prayer? Just to pray more minutes. So on Saturday, he texts Barbie. He's like, I played the whole game. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I prayed, did he get more minutes? He played the whole game. Well, the last two minutes, actually, he didn't play because he got fouled out for all the fouls he committed. <laughs> but he scored half the team's points, played the full game, and then he says, yeah, I played the full game. The team got food poisoning from Kentucky Fried Chicken, so they couldn't play, so that's why I played the full game. (laughs) And he's at halftime going, oh, in the bathroom, but he's like, I'm playing, I don't care. So he's out there playing, and he's got food poisoning. The rest of the team were like, I'm not playing. There were about five or six of them were able to carry on. And I thought, wow, you know, I didn't pray that God would give these kids food poisoning from Kentucky Fried Chicken. I just prayed for more minutes. If that's how the Lord wants to go about His business, that's His business. And they're all fine. Nobody died. Let's not have anyone, you know. But I can't tell you, I was so happy after that. So happy just about how God just works in ways. And I thought, you know, the Christian life is ordinary. You wake up and most days aren't extraordinary. But that doesn't mean that you can't through prayer and through fellowship and through the things listed here have those moments where you really do see that it is the life worth living. That you don't need to have great spiritual experiences where you're caught up to the third heaven, but rather simply living in love, walking in love. And walking in love whereby you are constantly reminded that Christ loved you, that He gave Himself up for us. Do you see those words there in verse 2? As Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. The same Apostle Paul who wrote those is the same Apostle Paul who says, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's the daily Christian life who loved me and gave Himself up for me. How do you walk in love? You walk in love knowing that Christ loved you gave Himself up for you so that you can be an imitator of God and simply love one another. And that is all you need to do this year. Walk in love. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your words. And as Augustine said many, many years ago, Lord, give what You command and command whatever You wish. Give to us the grace that we need to fulfill the commands that You have given and command those things so that we may fulfill them by Your grace and know that even if our lives are ordinary, in the sight of God, it is a fragrant offering to You, just as Christ was a fragrant offering in His life and death. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.